Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the third day of June, 2023. I'm your host, Mark Call, and this is one of those weeks where maybe we need to start our review inside out, because that's certainly what's being done to the country. So let's dispense with this story right off the top. Do you even need me to tell you that the so-called debt ceiling, which is being raised to infinity, played out exactly like everybody knew it would between the evil party and the stupid party? Yeah, just keep on printing. That dollar collapse is coming real soon now. Advancing next to midweek, we end up at the Better Late Than Never files. And it's actually way late. This comes from the Daily Mail's coverage, and it says Republicans are finally, now they didn't put that word in there, but I will, finally going to hold FBI Director Ray in contempt. And yeah, what took him so long? Because every American that's been paying any attention whatsoever held this guy in contempt years ago, and rightfully so. So it says at least some Republicans in Congress are finally going to hold him in contempt or maybe they will anyway, for refusing to hand over documents allegedly detailing at least part of the Biden big guy $5 million plus, and that's just the part we know about, bribery scheme with who knows how many foreign nationals, everything from Ukraine to the Communist Chinese Party, but this one, yet another tip of a massive iceberg, the FBI is just plain in-your-face stonewalling. Tuesday, it says, mark the deadline for the treasonous, and I put that word in there too, agency, to turn over an unclassified internal FD-1023 form that apparently details the arrangement by the big guy and his crime family for an exchange of money for policy decisions between the then vice president and a foreign national. Said Representative James Comer of Kentucky on Tuesday, the FBI has informed the committee it will not provide the unclassified documents subpoenaed by the committee. And he added the FBI's decision to stiff-arm Congress and hide this information from the American people is obstructionist and unacceptable. Yeah, folks, and it's also consistent with what they've been doing for year after year after year after year. But now they seem to keep doubling down. It says on Wednesday that he and Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa will be holding a telephone call with the scumbag Hormeister and Sheep to discuss the FBI's response a bit further. Well, folks, when it comes to skullduggery and scumbaggery and unconstitutional, even traitorous three-letter agencies, if there's one thing we've learned by now, it's don't hold your breath. And while we're on the subject of Congress and scumbags... <laughs> This one is at least interesting, although, as usual, I doubt that there'll be anything come of it. It appears, says a piece from the Gateway Pundit, that righteous conservative fury over the McCarthy sellout to the Biden Fuhrer and those pulling his puppet strings and the so-called debt ceiling, which isn't the ceiling at all, folks. It's just a balloon going into orbit, has reached a new boil. Christina Layla has reported that the House Freedom Caucus left open the possibility of filing a motion to vacate the Speaker's chair and get rid of McCarthy if he tries to push through that garbage debt-to-infinity deal. Following a press conference, Politico asked Representative Dan Bishop of North Carolina, a member of the Freedom Caucus, whether he'd support a motion to vacate the chair, and he replied, quote, absolutely, it's inescapable to me, it has to be done. But he added he needed to see whether or not other members had the courage to step forward as well. And you already know the answer to that now, don't you? With the exception of a very few. And your host can't help but think that they're probably the very same ones that knew exactly how this was going to play out when they tried to keep this rhino sellout from getting the position in the first place. Because this was basically all baked in the cake months and months ago. 
Following that, we've got some more interesting, if not almost, good news from the War on Children front. The shares of one of America's most repugnant retailers, Tranny Target, continued to plummet, says another piece from the Daily Mail, for an eighth straight day on Tuesday as the retailer faces its biggest losing streak in five full years. Shares fell three and two-thirds percent on Tuesday, resulting in the once popular but now self-destructive retail store losing a whopping $2.4 billion in market cap amid widespread backlash to its Tranny Pride display, which included what's been called tuck-friendly women's sick swimwear. In other words, they're literally selling kids and perverts so-called swimwear with a place to tuck your junk until you just get it completely cut off. As a result, it notes, Target has lost 12 billion bucks over two weeks. And there's no doubt about it, they earned that. A bit further down in here, it says conservatives and even moderates have been boycotting Target since it was revealed last week that the so-called retailer was selling LGBTQ plus friendly slogans on clothing. Personally, I think groomer garb is more appropriate. Things like trans people will always exist, gay, and live, laugh, lesbian. And many of them have correctly been pointing out that the chain is grooming children, pointing to a tweet that reports to show a tuck-friendly girl's bathing suit with extra crotch uh, coverage. And, And as you might have suspected, a number of people are calling this a Bud Light situation. And at this point, I can't help but hearken back to the so-called Jonestown Massacre at the Jim Jones cult in Guyana over 40 years ago, where over 900 men, women, and children committed or were forced to commit suicide by drinking the Kool-Aid, a phrase that's since become synonymous with self-destruction. Now we've got corporations doing the woke, super PC, public-private partnership, ESG thing, and drinking the Bud Light. And this is kind of funny, folks. I did a couple minutes worth of research this morning. As you probably know, Kraft Foods, the maker of Kool-Aid, has denied that it was real Kool-Aid that was actually used in the Jonestown massacre to kill so many people, including so many children. They say it was a cheap imitation, and they don't deserve the uh, infamy. When it comes to Trenheiser-Busch, however, there's no denying they brought it on themselves and deserve everything that people want to heap on them in the way of uh, ridicule, boycotts, and outright well-deserved disgust. So now we've seen other ESG PC corporations like Target and evidently more recently Kohl's drinking the Bud Light. Oh, and on that front, one bit of, I guess you could call it good news, before the week played out, from the Daily Mail, the headline says Target loses $12 billion in just 14 days. The retail giant's market cap plummets after the longest losing streak in five years as shares drop to the lowest level in a year amid, well, you know, let's call it what it is, the controversy over attempting to groom the children of customers. Uh, now, so many of them former customers. And this headline, Timber, it says, Kohl's stock too is tumbled now for a third day in a row after they went woke to go broke. From there on, we go next to Thursday, which turned out to be another one of those kind of news days, folks, where so much of what we're seeing is just downright disgusting, but at least it points to the direction that a once-free nation is headed, as in pretty much over the cliff. And I've got a story that illustrates that, I think, reasonably well, in a Wednesday filing against James O'Keefe, one of the best working journalists that America's produced in quite a few years, the organization which he founded and then which was taken over by, uh, well, let's just say something that looks a lot more like Soros than honest journalism, 
But that's your host's opinion. Yeah, Project Veritas has sued James O'Keefe because, says the lawsuit, the board became aware of serious allegations by Project Veritas employees about an incredibly troubling workplace. Does that mean it's not PC enough? And financial misconduct by O'Keefe, which they claim included screaming at coworkers targeting female employees. Mm, what does that mean nowadays in a PC world? Did he use the wrong pronoun or something? and creating strained relationships with donors. Oh, good grief. Yeah, color your host here more than skeptical. And here's the coup de grace in the uh, lawsuit, folks. And I quote, Being known as the founder of an organization does not entitle that person to run amok and put his interests ahead of that organization. Unquote. Even, I guess, if that organization is taken over by outsiders, fired the founder, and then began to completely betray its very reason for existence. Which is arguably another reason, and we've done these stories before, that donors decided they'd had enough of the new Project Veritas and took their money elsewhere. I guess I'll put it this way. In your host's opinion, see, we got to say that nowadays, this organization doesn't even deserve any reference to the name Veritas anymore. Oh, yeah, and one final question. I deliberately skipped over this when I read the introduction to the story here, folks. You want to guess where this lawsuit was filed? If you can say the Southern District of New York's federal court, you got a pretty good clue about what's happened in Once Free America. The Zero Hedge story was good enough to include a lengthy and what they called poignant video that followed his ouster in which he told staff about how and why he was leaving, a conflict in vision between himself and the new board. And this is one of the things that he said right off the top, and I think it really does frame the difference between his vision and the new Project Veritas, sans the truth part, pretty accurately. Journalism is reporting things powerful people want kept hidden for the wrong reasons, moral wrongs, bad behaviors as journalists were the custodians of the public's conscience. And as we've gone deeper and deeper exposing and illuminating corruption to lies hidden from public view, the line that separates good and evil becomes more clear. Not just in the institutions we investigate, but within one another. Throughout my 13 years doing this, our mission has evolved from simply being about exposing the truth with some hidden cameras to something more transcendental, giving people hope. Right? That's what we do. And he goes on to recount the history of the organization in quite some detail. And I'll admit, folks, listening to it is rather shocking. The difficulties that they had with money early on, that part's not too surprising. But his uh, encounters, to put it mildly, with the law, the fact that Big Brother and those who do his dirty work really didn't like somebody like James O'Keefe exposing what they were up to. And he suffered for it in no uncertain terms again and again. Ironically, that included enduring and fighting any number of lawsuits from people just like the ones that have now taken over the company that didn't want that truth to come out. So I guess that, too, given what's happening now and in this current environment, also ought to give people hope. This next story, though, ought to give people pause, and it confirms yet another aspect of the invasion at the absolutely traitorous open southern border. The Mexican government says another piece from Zero Hedge and Tyler Durden has been waging war, and we knew this, against drug cartels for over a decade with limited success. The cartels illegally procure modern military equipment, even from places other than Mr. Fast and Furious himself and the Obama regime different Western countries, in other words, but including especially the United States. And by the way, folks, they're getting weapons that actual American citizens are not generally even allowed to possess. 
much less go out and use for criminal purposes, unless, of course, they're encouraged to do so by coming across the southern border and going to a gun-free killing zone. Or, obviously, they work for a three-letter agency. But, hey, maybe I do repeat myself. They're illegally procuring all kinds of modern military equipment, making the fight comparable to those in Middle Eastern war zones. And I think that's the intent. The Obama regime's oh-so-successful Arab Spring has become Texas Spring. On Wednesday, Mexican TV channel Milenio published an article entitled Mexican Cartels Prepare for a War. And now they have military-grade rocket launchers, at least one anyway. It shows a video of a Gulf cartel, in this case it's Cartel de Golfo, CDG member, who's carrying a, quote, military-grade grenade launcher during a checkpoint in Matamoros, just on the other side of the border from Brownsville. The reporter from Millennia identified the rocket launcher as a Raytheon-made FGM-148 Javelin, and she noted that the rocket launcher on the black market generally fetches a price of somewhere between 20 to 60 grand. But after further review, experts indicate the rocket launcher might also be an AT-4, a Swedish-made disposable anti-tank launcher, which was sent to Ukraine along with Javelins. Hey, I wonder how they got to Mexico, right? And if you're trying to figure out what the big guy's cut on that might be, you're certainly not alone. Nevertheless, these military-grade weapons are turning up in Mexican border towns during the worst U.S. southern border crisis in American history. But not to worry, because the Biden regime, UNT, Department of Actum Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas, are on the job. And that ought to scare the you-know-what out of anybody that's paying attention. Well, maybe from here we do need a bit of comic relief. This will have to do. Gavin Newsom's attempt to blame Ron DeSantis, says a piece from the Gateway Pundit, has blown up in his face when he attempted to blame the latest mass shooting, this time in Florida, on a new bill signed by the Florida governor there, which in many states is called constitutional carry. It means individuals will no longer need to ask permission from Big Brother to exercise a God-given, once constitutionally protected right to keep and bear arms. That would include concealed, of course. On Monday night, three Memorial Day beachgoers were injured in a mass shooting at the Margaritaville Hollywood Beach Resort in Florida. Three of the victims were minors, and get this, folks, not the usual lone gunman. This time, five individuals were taken into custody following the incident. One suspect remains at large, and this is telling. The police have not yet determined a motive for the shooting, and I guess there's no point in even asking the FBI now, is there? All right. Sarcasm and well-deserved cynicism aside, this is what Gruesome Newsome tweeted immediately thereafter. Until our leaders have the courage to stop bowing down to the NRA and enact common-sense gun safety, in other words, gang-rape the rest of the Bill of Rights, this kind of senseless violence will continue, unquote, said the idiotic dictator of California. I'll say it again, this guy is such a scumbag. But why, claims this guy who hates the entire concept of God-given rights? Well, because DeSantis signed a carry bill back in April that uh, restores constitutional carry and removes all kinds of unconstitutional infringements. So, Gruesome Newsom's trying to blame this latest gun-free killing zone attack on Ron DeSantis. And I use that term advisedly here, folks, because uh, the devil turns out to be in the details. And as the Gateway Pundit points out, there's one big problem with Newsom's idiocy or uh, assertion. Jeremy Redfern, the press secretary for Ron DeSantis, responded to Newsom by revealing a key detail that he should have known that uh, the press has reported on, which just happens to be one of those pesky facts that the California governor can't be bothered with. The law doesn't take effect until July 1st. 
which means that, at least up until then, the perps were pretty much assured that it was still yet another gun-free killing zone. In other words, folks, he would have been better equipped to argue that the uh, bad guys needed to get their false flags in now before they can't be sure just who in Florida might be able to shoot back. Oh, yeah, and I didn't do this story earlier in the week, but I guess it fits here by way of compare and contrast. This is how the Daily Mail reported it. Nine teens, including a girl and four minors, were arrested over a vicious assault on three U.S. Marines who were jumped by what they called, correctly it would seem, an obnoxious mob on Memorial Day. The three Marines were brutally attacked by the huge mob along San Clemente Beach, hey, the opposite coast, by a group of some 40 teenagers at 10 p.m. on Friday evening after they were confronted about bad, and in California, you can certainly guess, illegal behavior. The incident was caught on video, and what did the Marines do to so piss off the angry mob? It seems that they confronted them about setting off fireworks. In the roughly one-minute-long clip posted to Two Facebook, the Marines were seen trying to walk up the steps outside the Pier Bowl as a group of teenagers shouted at them. As they approached the stairs, a male teen was seen brutally punching the back of one of the Marines' head, who turned around and charged at the assailant, which then led to an all-out brawl as the teen's friends jumped in to take turns swinging and kicking at him, and then later all three of them. Two of the victims were seen curled up on the ground as the group continued to strike them with vicious kicks, and the brawl came to an end only after two bystanders, an unknown man and a woman, intervened and yelled at the children, Stop what you are doing! Arguably a somewhat courageous act, especially in California. Further down the story, this tidbit is added. One of the Marines, Hunter Antonino, told KCAL the fight began when he asked the team to stop lighting fireworks. He said he and his friends were enjoying some rare time off from Camp Pendleton in Oceanside over the weekend when the crowd began setting them off, whereupon a piece of debris hit him in the face, and Antonino said he politely asked them to leave. Quote, they were lighting off fireworks, they were being belligerent and obnoxious and annoying other people, so I went up to them and told them to stop, he recounted. But the group followed him back to the pier, at which point Antonino said he and his friend warned the teenagers that they were Marines so that they would leave, but they didn't. And honestly, folks, at this point, there's just one more observation that I think is apropos to put in here. One of my favorite authors growing up, science fiction writer Robert A. Heinlein, famously said a long time ago, an armed society is a polite society, unquote, and yeah, how far we have come and in the wrong direction. By Friday morning, the Waystream Press were touting the fabulous headline job numbers from the Bureaus of Lying Statistics. 339,000 new jobs were created. Oh, isn't the economy wonderful? Yeah, while people are basically realizing they can't put a meal on their table, uh, and uh, they're going to be really hurting a year from now. So this is a piece from Tyler Durden and Zero Hedge. It's fairly deep analysis, lots of charts and graphs, and it basically says this. We live in a strange time where skepticism among the very serious people about government veracity when it comes to data has become mundane. In other words, nobody buys their bogus statistics anymore. But the credibility of the most important U.S. economic data, the monthly jobs data, has come in the form of periodic seasonal adjustment resets. In other words, what they do is they put out a headline and they say, more jobs, and then next month they go, well, not as many as we said. Maybe not even remotely as many. So we learn, says uh, the Zero Hedge piece here, that all the data that guided markets and the central banksters has been fake, manipulated wrong for years. But even if you ignore that, 
the devil is really in the details. So here we go. More readers are probably aware that according to BLS, there are now roughly 3.3 million more jobs than there were at the peak just before the COVID crash. And they give the numbers and they got the charts and the graphs. Uh, on the surface, this is impressive because a deficit of some 22 million jobs during the pandemic have been erased. But if you start digging, then the problems emerge. Like a lot of the jobs, if not the majority of them, have gone to, get this, multiple job holders. Meaning there are uh, lots of people who hold two, three, or more jobs in order to try to make ends meet. How about this? A lot of the recent job creation has gone to, you guessed it, low-paying part-time jobs, while full-time jobs have stagnated. But wait, there's more. According to the household survey, there were ner- virtually no new jobs created, real jobs, for much of 2022, even as the so-called establishment survey, the Bureau of Lying Statistics, claimed over 2 million new jobs had been added over that same time period. But wait, there's more still. Uh, there are some glarative, uh, glaring n- glitches in the narrative and discrepancies, and the bureaucrats aren't very diligent, it seems, as far as making the figures add up correctly. And um, so all of the manipulation is becoming even more obvious. One place where the BLS has allowed a glaring consistent this deficiency, inconsistency in the data persist that will soon be very politically charged is where have all these new workers come from? You want to take a guess? Here's the headline. All the new jobs, all of the new jobs since the COVID crash have gone to foreign-born workers. And they got the charts and they've got the graphs and they show what's happened. But basically, all the new job creation since the COVID crash has gone to foreign-born workers. Native-born workers have stagnated. They've been unable to break above pre-COVID highs. And, you know, I mean, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Look how many millions upon millions have come in. For every alleged fake job created, even if people are holding two or three of them, you've got three, four. Or five illegal invaders coming in. Well, don't worry. They don't need jobs. They're getting paid by the communist Chinese and the Iranians and the Russia, Russia, Russians and all the other foreign militaries or by Soros's people. So basically, the more you look, the more you actually understand the data, the more you realize, wow, this is serious. The lies go way deep. And finally, that leads us to this. I don't know if you could call it comic relief or not, but it's certainly a warning. Also, even meta news, because it seems to be being purged from the web. Friday morning, it had reasonably wide coverage, but that didn't last. I saw it in multiple sources. Here's a sentence from the UK's Independent, one of the, uh, oh, not quite as bad as the New York Times, for example, but they're definitely up there in the pulpy category. An artificial intelligent U.S. drone, I didn't see specifics on what type, but anyway, it was a simulation, and it was programmed to destroy air defense systems. So they're simulating an attack by artificial intelligence driving a drone on an air defense system, like, say, Russian S-400s or whatever. It rebelled, and it killed its human operator after the drone and the AI decided they were in the way of its mission to destroy air defense. This according to a U.S. Air Force official who released the chilling details of the simulated test. During the simulation, the system had been tasked with destroying missile silos and sites overseen by a human operator who would make the final decision on any attacks. But the AI system concluded that operator stood in the way of its goal. And instead, it decided to wipe that person out. <laughs> they uh, Okay, so there's more details here, but here's the kicker. This is from The Guardian. That's another U.K. source that tends to be pretty left-leaning. Uh, the headline says, U.S. Air Force denies running a simulation in which the AI drone killed the operator. The colonel says, well, there were highly unexpected strategies the drone used to achieve its goal in a virtual test. But wait a minute. 
Now, let's go to this story. This is the Business Insider. An Air Force official story about the AI drone going rogue during a simulation never actually happened. The official had said it killed the operator because the person that was doing it was keeping it from accomplishing its objective. But later, the official said he misspoke. And the Air Force clarified it was only a hypothetical situation to begin with, and it never happened besides. These are not the drugs you're looking for. Now, here's what's funny. I look through a number of other sources, and I see uh, 404, file not found, 404, file not found. So they're purging this off the web, too. So just maybe your host can't help but think. They don't want people realizing that every single simulation they did prior to releasing the COVID pandemic played out right according to plan. And this just looks too much like every single killer robot sci-fi story up to and including the Terminator since about 1950. There's certainly a message here, and I guess it's fair to wonder whether or not it's the AI that's trying to send it. And we'll be right back. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Did you write the book of love? And do you have faith in God above? If the Bible tells us so. Welcome back now to the second segment of the show for this evening. This is Mark Hall. And since, like the country, we started the show inside out, let's drop back now and fill in some of the gaps after the long Memorial Day weekend. Starting with the rhinos in the Texas state legislature, which have impeached one of the few decent attorneys general in the entire United States, Ken Paxton. You can guess his real crime, not going along with the deep state agenda. But the Daily Mail summary says that the GOP-led House of Representatives in Texas impeached the state's Attorney General Ken Paxton on Saturday for alleged crimes including bribery and abuse of the public trust. Now, that one's a laugher, folks, because if that was true, he would have already been in Washington by now, joining the swamp. And I think it should be obvious that if you really want to get away with bribery in the post-constitutional United States, you'd better make sure the big guy gets his 10% off the top. Here's the key, though. The vote traders Paxton's immediate suspension from office, and therefore all of the initiatives having to do with anything that Big Brother doesn't like, are also on hold, pending the outcome of a trial in the state Senate, and it empowers the governor, Republican, um, Greg Abbott, to appoint someone else to be the top lawyer in Texas in the interim. Even the Daily Mail, though, does get around to the real crux of the matter, about five paragraphs or so in. The 60-year-old Paxson has decried what he called political theater based on hearsay and gossip and the long-disproven claims, saying, and I think this is pretty obvious, it's an attempt to disenfranchise the voters who re-elected him in November. And it constitutes, says the Daily Mail, an abrupt downfall for one of the GOPs, as opposed to the rhinos, most prominent legal combatants, who in 2020, and this is the real reason, folks, that they're after him and they want his scalp. In 2020, he asked the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the bogus election that allegedly put the senile fake president and his body doubles in the White House. Yeah, we have ways of making you pay. And here's another item, as you almost certainly should have expected, the evil party and the stupid party, i.e. both wings of that same bird of prey, got together over the weekend and decided, ha this is how we'll do it this time around. 
Yeah, I'm talking about the bogus debt ceiling debate. If we had a constitution, we wouldn't even have it. And the claim that you're seeing in most of the press does kind of strain credulity. It says that the speaker for the traders, and again, that term is apropos, Kevin McCarthy, reached a final agreement with the puppeteers pulling the strings of the body double for Joe Biden. I mean, come on. Does anybody really believe that Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden sat down for some tough negotiations? And all of this, says the fake news breathlessly, just days before a potential first ever, yeah, sure, government default. Again, turning to the data mail, about the only thing that's true in this headline is multiple Republicans, it claims, say they'll vote against the turd sandwich debt ceiling deal, declaring it, and this is at least true, an insult to the American people, not to mention the rule of law and the whole concept of honest weights and measures. Republican Matt Rosendale of Montana confirmed in a statement that he'd be voting against what he called correctly the Fiscal Irresponsibility Act and said it failed, (laughs) are you sitting down, to rein in federal spending. Which is a bit like saying pouring gasoline on a four-alarm fire might fail to rein in the flames. Said NBC News, Republican hardliners, i.e. people that have ever even read the Constitution, in both chambers have sniped at the deal, setting the stage for a contentious showdown on Tuesday in the House Rules Committee, which is scheduled to consider the bill before an expected circus in the full House on Wednesday. Honestly, though, folks, the best comment I saw, again, came from Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, who tweeted, quote, fake conservatives agree to fake spending cuts. Speaking of which, remember the fake neo-Nazi false flag at the fake White House? Let's start with another headline from the sycophant Daily Mail over the weekend that claims the neo-Nazi who plowed a truck into the White House gates to kill Biden planned a rambling coup speech that would be the end of U.S. democracy, threatened adversaries with the death penalty, and signed off with the so-called Nazi motto. He couldn't even spell it right, and I doubt he knows what it meant. Ah, heck, come to think of it, I doubt if he's even seen a World War II movie. And by the way, if you're curious, they're talking about Sieg Heil. Anyway, this one claims deep down in the piece that prosecutors, yeah, sure, are arguing that Sai Kandula should remain in custody because the uh, CHS, no, the alleged neo-Nazi, should remain in custody because he is a danger and a flight risk because the Indian fellow has visited India on several occasions and could face deportation if he's convicted. Come on, who are we kidding on that score? For a little bit more intelligent reporting, let's turn from there to the Gateway Pundit and Jim Hoff, who wrote that last Monday night, a week ago, a young migrant from Chesterfield, Missouri, drove a U-Haul truck and attempted, or so they tell us, to ram his way through a White House barrier. But the plot failed. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And do you think it could have been as intended? And police investigators then pulled a Nazi flag from the U-Haul truck and then put it on the ground so that it could be photographed by the waiting photographers. Yes, it was a white supremacist attack. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. But no, it's hoffed. Internet users, including your host here, were immediately suspect. The only thing they found in the truck was a Nazi flag. That's all too convenient for the Biden Fuhrer and the FBI's booga 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 narrative about the dreaded white supremacist threat in America. Yep, this one too smelled like yet another Fed operation. And now there's more from Sai Varshith Kandula, who graduated from high school in West St. Louis and has a limited internet profile. The government told the court that Kandula is not a U.S. citizen, but didn't specify where he's from. And on Friday, D.C. prosecutors dropped all of these serious charges against Sai Kandula. Because evidently, they got a lot more important things to do. Like sending MAGA people to the gulag and prosecuting not only them, but an elected president to boot. Said the New York Post, 
Something extraordinary happened. Prosecutors dropped every single charge, leaving Candula with nothing but, quote, a single count of depredation of property of the United States in excess of $1,000. And inquiring minds are curious as to how that could happen and, of course, why. Said the husband of conservative commentator Molly Hemingway, I don't want to sound paranoid, but it seems to me like they're trying to hush this up. And your host can't help but chime in here and add, yeah, perhaps because this false flag was so transparent, it literally got laughed off the front pages of the national press. And others are asking, yeah, since when do foreigners with Nazi flags get a pass for ramming the entrance to the White House? While prosecutors send Trump supporters to the gulag for just walking inside the U.S. Capitol after being waved in. So on then to another front in America's burgeoning Civil War 2.0. As I'm sure you know, Tranheiser-Busch isn't the only once-decent United States company to weigh in and open fire against what's left of the Constitutional Republic. The new transgender target has partnered with Glisten. So there's another piece from the Gateway Pundit. That would be the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, a group that advocates policies to keep parents unaware of their children's in-school gender transitioning and also provides sexually explicit books to schools and pushes gender ideology throughout the public cesspool curricula. According to a recent report that they came out with, GLSEN is a radical educational sick group leading efforts to create what they call, quote, inclusive and anti-racist environments for LGBTQIA++ students. And on Sunday, it was the Daily Mail in the UK that revealed that Target's vice president of brand management, good grief, is also a board member and treasurer for GLSEN which helps, they note, to explain the tuckwear for little transgenders in waiting, kitties that are being groomed for whatever it is, Target and Big Brother and all of those that hate, in your host's considered opinion, the entire concept of the God of the Bible, have next. Said Fox News, Carlos Saavedra is a VP of brand marketing for Target and a treasurer at Glisten, which focuses on getting school districts sick to adopt policies that keep parents in the dark about their child's in-school planned gender transitioning and other satanically evil things. Target and Saavedra did not immediately respond, notes the piece, to a request for comment. But Target said that Glisten leads the movement in creating affirming and anti-racist spaces for LGBTQIA plus students. And we are proud of our 10 plus years of collaboration with Glisten and continue to support their mission. Unquote, said an unchastened retailer that arguably, folks, deserves to be cast as quickly as possible under the ash heap of history. Speaking personally now, I can honestly say I haven't darkened the door of one of those abominations masquerading as a retailer for a number of years. Could this be a very much related story? Well, it seems the Gateway Pundit might think so. A video uploaded to Twitter by Jason Jones shows a grown man with a mustache wearing a dress at Disneyland's own, I would say perverse, Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boutique. In the video, the man with a mustache wearing a dress is greeting little girls as they walk into the dress boutique. And according to Disneyland Resort, the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique offers magical makeovers. And I guess that has a bigger meaning now than ever for royalty in training, ages 3 to 12. It does tend to expand on the term grooming. And what's more, they left out perverts in waiting, but that seems to be the real intent. And in that regard, I guess this one is interesting. There's a New York Times review of yet another new Disney movie, their live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. 
writes the Times' Wesley Morris in a review. The new live-action Little Mermaid is everything nobody should want in a movie. Dutiful and defensive, yet desperate for approval. It reeks of obligation and noble intentions, but lacks a whole bunch of other things, including kink. And the reviewer went on to complain there just wasn't enough carnality. Which almost sounds like this guy wants Disney's grooming efforts to be even more transparent than they already are. Finally, time for a bit of comic relief. And try not to lapse is an appropriate headline here. A COVID outbreak has just happened at a CDC conference where 99.4% of all attendees were, say it with me folks, vaccinated. Or at least they took the poison poke. Says J.D. Rucker in Curated News for Discern Report. This shouldn't be funny, but for some reason, I literally chuckled when I saw it. And the reason is obvious, because the CDC and other so-called experts have hammered the unvaxxed and those who don't want to be guinea pigs for over two years now about how safe and effective the, uh, as your host puts it, Zyklon B injections were. But now with the pandemic panic theater finally fading a bit, a CDC conference with a nearly 100% perfect vaccination rate gets hit by a massive outbreak. But maybe this shouldn't surprise us either. About 1,800 CDC staffers and others gathered at an Atlanta hotel where CDC is headquartered for a conference focused on epidemiological investigations and strategies. On the last day of the conference, a number of people notified organizers they tested positive for the booga booga flu It's not clear exactly how big the actual outbreak was, but Dr. Eric Topol, director of the Scripps Research Translational Institute, said on Twitter that the huge numbers here made the conference a, quote, super spreader event. (laughs) Well, Dr. Tom Inglesby, director of the Bloomberg School of Public Health's Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, good grief, added that the outbreak shows that COVID-1984 is, quote, still capable of causing Big outbreaks and infecting many, unquote. And yeah, evidently, especially if they've had their immune systems weakened with the Zyklon B injection. But wait, there's more. Are you ready for this? An unchastened CDC said the survey results, quote, underline the importance of vaccination for protecting individuals against severe illness and death related to COVID-19. <laughs> unquote. Because nobody ended up going to a hospital which is arguably, with every bit as much scientific basis, too, probably the reason nobody ended up dying either. Oh, yeah, and finally there's this from America's traitorous military and their communist Chinese party overlords. China has snubbed, says another piece from Christina Layla this time in the Gateway Pundit, Defense Secretary Sick Lloyd Austin and his request for a meeting with the new Chinese Defense Minister Li Shangfu. The Biden regime has been trying for weeks to secure a meeting with the new defense minister for the communist Chinese mainland, but has failed. Said the pentagram overnight, the PRC informed us that they have declined our early May invitation for Secretary Austin to meet with PRC Minister of National Defense Li Shangfu in Singapore this week. But they added... The department believes strongly in the importance of maintaining open lines of military-to-military communication between Washington and Beijing. Now, if you've been paying attention, I'm sure you're thinking exactly what your host is. All they really needed to do was just talk to Marxist Millie. The Wall Street Journal added that China's dismissal of the proposal for a meeting was also an unusually blunt message, said U.S. defense officials. And added TGP, it's not even the first time China has snubbed Lloyd Austin. 
They did it in 2021. And in March of that same year, the fake Secretary of State for the Biden regime, Anthony Blinken, got humiliated by the Chinese envoy on American soil, no less, in Alaska. Maybe, folks, the communist Chinese feel like whatever they bought and paid for, they don't need to talk to or hear from unless they want to. All of which leads me to a warning now, courtesy of InfoWars, about a number of recent waste-stream media reports revealing potential predictive programming. All of which suggests Kellen McBreen for Alex Jones's website that the skids are being greased in the public for an alleged right-wing or Russian attack, yeah sure, on the American power grid. CBS Mornings It Begins covered a recent Department of Achtung Homeland Security report warning that, yeah, you know it, don't you, far-right activists, the dreaded white supremacists, could be targeting the U.S. power grid as a way to disrupt the country. What, even more than the Biden regime already has? Yeah, and the government's ability to operate. And we thought that was supposed to be Congress's job. Still, despite first claiming the tax would be done by so-called right-wing extremists, the actual DHS paper states that individuals, quote, adhering to a range of ideologies will likely to continue to plot and encourage physical attacks. Now, the CBS Fear campaign recently told viewers that it was Russia, Russia, Russia that could target the American power grid system to create chaos. And that, yes, the entire U.S. could allegedly suffer a massive power blackout if just not key power substations were targeted, either physically or by hackers. As the story notes, InfoWars and Alex Jones have long been warning that the global elite, and that would be the Biden regime, one of their local puppets, have prepared tools to intentionally turn off the U.S. power grid as part of the continuing and openly planned series of disasters being used to usher in the Great Reset. Notes McBreen, when the world's socialist engineers plotted their release of a deadly bioweapon pandemic, they were among those who exposed their sinister agenda. And now it's the same key players that have been warning about the next pandemic, which will this time around be a cyber one where critical infrastructure is targeted. And they note that conservative journalist and activist Candace Owens discussed a government-induced power grid collapse in a recent viral video saying, quote, the World Economic Forum is predicting a cyber pandemic, a pandemic is inevitable, unquote. But let's not forget that Klaus Schwab and others have been warning that they're planning, well, anyway, somebody is planning and they're going to blame it on guess who, Exactly the same thing for quite a while. And Alex Jones's people note that he warned as far back as 2010 that the leftist green movement and their war on coal and fossil fuels would in general lead to what we've been seeing and what is intended to accelerate and intensify more and more power grid failures, especially as they get the dumbed down to buy off on electric cars they won't be able to charge or replace the batteries for. Next, today I'm going to do something I don't do very often. Typically, if I play a clip, it's less than a minute or so. But this next item is a compilation put together by Greg Reese at InfoWars of some things that were said by Dr. David Martin to the EU recently. The brief compilation is excellent, but the speech itself that Dr. Martin gives is absolutely damning and certainly a must-hear. Dr. David Martin was recently a guest at the European Union and laid out the timeline for the biggest democide in recorded history. You can see the full video on band.video. This is my short edit. Coronavirus was identified in 1965 as one of the first infectious replicatable viral models that could be used to modify a series of other experiences of the human condition. What's particularly interesting about its isolation in 1965 was that it was immediately identified as a pathogen that could be used and modified for a whole host of reasons. In 1966, 
the very first COV coronavirus model was used as a transatlantic biological experiment in human manipulation. And in 1967, we did the first human trials on inoculating people with modified coronavirus. The common cold was turned into a chimera in the 1970s. And in 1975, 1976, and 1977, we started figuring out how to modify coronavirus by putting it into different animals pigs and dogs and that became the basis for Pfizer's first spike protein vaccine patent filed are you ready for this in 1990 and in 1990 they found out that there was a problem with vaccines they didn't work it turns out that coronavirus is a very malleable model. It transforms and it changes and it mutates over time. As a matter of fact, every publication on vaccines for coronavirus from 1990 until 2018, every single publication concluded that coronavirus escapes the vaccine impulse. In 2002, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, patented, and I quote, an infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. And that work, patented at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, mysteriously preceded SARS 1.0 by a year. In 2005, this particular pathogen was specifically labeled as a bioterrorism and bioweapon platform technology. And from 2005 onwards, it was actually a biowarfare enabling agent, its official classification. We have been lured into believing that EcoHealth Alliance and DARPA and all of these organizations are what we should be pointing to. But we've been specifically requested to ignore the facts that over $10 billion have been funneled through black operations through the check of Anthony Fauci and a side-by-side ledger where NIAID has a balance sheet and next to it is a biodefense balance sheet equivalent dollar-for-dollar matching that no one in the media talks about. Poised for human emergence in 2016 at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, such that by the time we get to 2017 and 2018, the following phrase entered into common parlance among the community. There is going to be an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. Seven months before the allegation of patient number one, four patent applications of Moderna were modified to include the term accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen as the justification for making a vaccine for a thing that did not exist. The intent was to get the world to accept a universal vaccine template, and the intent was to use coronavirus to get there. This was premeditated domestic terrorism stated at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015. Does that sound like a bat and a pangolin went into a bar in the Wuhan market? This is an act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race. See the full video at band.video. Let's start then to wrap up today with a couple of more stories from the techno-tyranny front. Both of these, in this case, from Natural News. The first one says that the Federal Death Agency has now green-lighted yet more technology designed to enslave humanity forever and take over your neural system as well. In this case, they've now greenlit the first clinical trials of Elon Musk's 
new human brain implants. Neurotechnology company Neuralink recently obtained approval from the Federal Death Agency to conduct a clinical study of brain implants in humans, which marks the first inhuman clinical study for the company. And, quote, this is a result of incredible work by the Neuralink team in close collaboration with the Federal Death Agency, and it represents an important first step, they say, that will one day allow our technology to (laughs) uh, help many people. Although recruitment is not yet open for our new clinical trial, they're going to let you know real soon. Yeah, it says they're currently focused on giving quadriplegics the ability to control their computers and mobile devices with their thoughts. And your host has no doubt that that is, in fact, a noble and wonderful pursuit. Trouble is, some of us are just cynical enough to think that the real goal goes far beyond that. Because if you've been paying attention all along, you realize that do-getting is only the first step in controlling everybody else that doesn't yet, at least, have the kind of problems that uh, they will whenever Big Brother and those who are their public-private partners get their way. According to the report, says the story of the initial prototypes about the size of a coin have so far been implanted in the skulls of monkeys, and uh, the skull has been replaced with a disc while wires were strategically inserted into the brain of a nine-year-old macaque named Pager. Musk said the disregistered nerve activity relayed the information via a common Bluetooth wireless signal to a device like a smartphone and, quote, it actually fits quite nicely in your skull. could be under your hair, and you wouldn't know it. The technology has also been tested on pigs whose legs can be remotely controlled by a computer. Finally, there's this, and arguably the headline tells pretty much the entire story. The Transportation Sexual Abusers, or TSA, have now raised additional privacy concerns. It's not enough they want to grope your privates and look and see what's in your bag without a warrant. They've now ramped up the use of facial recognition technology in U.S. airports. Said Jason Leem, what we're trying to do with this is aid the officers to actually determine that you are Akhtung who you say you are. And they've demonstrated the technology at BWI, Baltimore, Washington International, Thurgood Marshall Airport. Don't you know there will be more to come? Where the images have been coupled into a central database, and we know who you are and where you are going, and we will decide if you get to make it or not. As usual, say the stories, TSA claims that the project is voluntary. Yeah, like being groped is voluntary if you ever want to get home again. Said five senators, though, increasing biometric surveillance of Americans by Big Brother represents a risk to civil liberties and property rights. And come on, who are we kidding? The risk, folks, happened decades ago. What we're seeing now are the final stages of tyranny stamping out any opposition. 